Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. I remember when I heard my guest's story, I was absolutely gobsmacked and simply had to have a further conversation with him about all those experiences that shaped his life. And I swear this needs to be made into a movie. The journey from homeless to millionaire, from failure to utter success, from being bullied to becoming an influencer. Hear it all in this episode with my remarkable guest, Sir Marco Robinson. Marco is an award-winning entrepreneur, primetime TV star, philanthropist, number one best-selling author, winner of the iProperty People's Choice Awards Best Real Estate Company, world-renowned property investor and restaurateur. He is best known for the Channel 4 television show Get a House for Free, where millionaire Marco gave houses away to homeless families and paid the mortgage off. The show went to 67 countries throughout the world, prompting him to launch Freedom X, his own charity to stop homelessness. Marco Robinson's book Close the Deal and Suddenly Grow Rich became a number one bestseller at its launch. It teaches not only the skills needed to make a sale, but also how to determine the perfect timing for closing the deal. Even sky seems not to be the limit for Marco. He went on to produce and star alongside Scott Atkins in his movie Legacy of Lies, which became a top four movie on Netflix. Sir Marco was also knighted by the Malaysian king for helping 350,000 blind people get access to guide dogs and public places that were previously banned by the government after he made a film called Are You Blind? which went viral. I could go on and on listing all the remarkable things about Sir Marco Robinson and am very excited to share my conversation with him. Welcome to Beehive Household podcast. It was a very short warm-up, was it? <laughs> straight into business. Yeah, straight there. <laughs> okay, so... Pleasure to be here, darling. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. I'm really excited about the conversation. I've um, done my homework and some fascinating oh, that sounds, stories. That sounds of course, of course. So some really fascinating stories that I'm hoping to get slightly different twist or maybe dig a little bit deeper or see what else I can get out of you sure. that audience can enjoy because um, I feel like that can be movie done just based on your story. Um, I don't know if this is something you're contemplating in the long run or maybe a short run. Yes, well, I'm now a movie maker, so it's a bit easy for me to get to that stage. But yes, that means everybody says I've lived 100 lifetimes in one lifetime, which is pretty much the case, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting because last night I was reading a book with my daughters and one of the questions in the end was, who do you want to become when you grow up? And my five-year-old said everything. And 
in the context of this interview, I'm actually yeah. thinking that you have become that everything in that sense of the words. You, you are a successful salesman, actor, producer, author, entrepreneur, restauranter, property developer, yeah. prime, TV, prime TV star, philanthropist, DJ, model, and even a knight. Yeah. And I want to know, so who did young Marco want to become when he grew up? Pretty much all of those things. <laughs> you make things yeah, happen but, for yourself. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, the, I was the boy at the back of the classroom looking out the window because I didn't really see the point in school. Very early on in my life, I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? What am I going to learn from this? Is, am I going to really, am I really made for academics? And I've never, I, was, I knew I was never, you know, I knew very, very early on that I was never made for that. Mm. And I had a lot of trauma as a child, so I kind of disconnected from school because there was so much trauma going on at home. It didn't That's really right. seem important to me, you know. That's right. You you've been through quite a bit of a roller coaster that you didn't seem to have let define you in the long run. Yeah. Um so just for the benefit of the listeners, and you talk about this a lot, but I don't think I would be able to even recreate the story as excitingly and or you know emotionally to an extent the way you did. Um, if you could briefly um, tell me. Sure, I mean, when I was, when I was, when I was um, two years old, my mum left my dad. My, da my mum was 23 at the time. And my dad was a gambling addict. He used to bet on the horses. And my, my earliest memory as a baby, I think it was about one crawling around the floor on newspapers and cigar smoke and smelly feet. And now I realized that he, he was just studying the form of racehorses every, every day, pretty much. So every, every bit of money went on the horses and he, he ran up debts all over town. My mum never had any money, so she just left him. She had no choice. And she mm. went to live with her mum and her stepdad in the north of England. And it was January, it was snowing. And it was a very terrifying ordeal for her because, not because of, it was cold, but because she was sexually abused since she was four years old by a stepdad and she was, she was going back to that house. And she was terrified. And I, I never knew her background until the backstory came out for the Channel 4 TV show a couple of years ago. Mm. She told me that. She kept it secret for basically 50 years. Um, you know, one memory she told me was that when she was 12, her stepdad put his hand on her breast and said, I didn't marry you for your mum, I married you to get to you. I married your mum to get to you. 12 years old. Can you imagine your daughter? I mean, as a, as, a, as a mother, I, I, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely gets all my guards up and um, all sorts of emotions. Yeah, to hear that about your own mum yeah. or as your mum to be going through something like this. So we're on, the, we're on the doorstep, I'm in her arms, and the stepdad said to my grandma, it's either me or them, in terms of staying there. And my grandma said, you can't stay. Her mom said, you can't stay, right? Wow. So wow. we went, we had, she had no choice. She lived, she went and took me to the park. We were there for three days, we nearly died. And friends of friends eventually took us in, and my mom was not educated. Very clever, but never educated, because she was always working, working, working to provide for me and and survive. So yeah. 
he moved around the country a lot with me. I went to so many different schools, can't remember. And I was always the one, I was always the new kid in school. I had bright ginger hair, nothing like it is now, because I've been praying for it to go away there all my life. <laughs> I used to dye it when I was a kid and stuff. Oh. And I was like <clears throat> small, pale, and orange. So it used to stick out like hell. So I was bullied. I was bullied like hell. And um, my mum then met my stepdad when I think it was about nine. And he's, he was supposed to be the answer to my mum's you know, um, problems. He was a nice guy, had a great job, but he was very um, split personality, very nice on the outside, but inside the house, very physical. So it would be pushing my mum around. You know, I watched, watched my mum being pushed down the stairs once as a nine-year-old kid. And as was a nine-year-old... physical with you as well? It wasn't physical with me, it was only physical with her. Okay. Um, yeah, but he was always, you know, he had to be in charge of things. Right. And so as a nine-year-old kid, you don't know what to do with that because you come home and they're fighting with each other and you don't know what to do with it. You just don't have the emotional range and you, you don't have the physical range to stop him. Absolutely. You know, so I used to go cry under my bed or I'd run away from home quite a lot. Um, so my childhood was very lonely. I had a few friends, yes, but because I moved to school a lot, I didn't keep those friends for long. So I never had a best friend as a kid. Yeah. Um, and when I was 15, I was in my so-called friend's house in the garage and there was 20 kids that put me in the center of a circle and started kicking and punching me and laughing, laughing the heads off for fun. Jeez. I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I saw red and I basically, the last thing I remember was chasing 20 boys down the street going, come on, come on. Is that the best you could do? So that was the first time really that I, that I kind of fought back that I had any self esteem or self worth. Yeah. Um, and that You've was been the pushed only too hard. Yeah, I'd been pushed to the, to the limit. Yeah. I had a limit. Everyone's got a limit. And I didn't reach my limit till I was 15 because I was looking after my mum. So right. when I was 15, 16, I wasn't interested in school. I left, didn't do exams, didn't have a high school diploma, as you say, in America or anything like that. Mm. And just worked lots of jobs. And when, when I was 15, she met another man that she's still with, and that worked out. She's very happy. Right. So she's been with him over 30 years now. But I didn't want to go and live with them because I wanted her to be happy. I didn't want her to be responsible for me, you know. At the age of 15? Yeah. Wow. So I decided to leave school, just worked jobs, couch surfed on friends' couches, people's cars, garages. And eventually I got fed up of doing that because it was just cleaning work, casual work. And I got offered a job in direct sales when I was 21, commission only, selling timeshare. To your viewers, timeshare is like a holiday membership for £10,000. You buy one week mm -hmm. and you go to a place anywhere in the world for yeah. like 50 years I did that, but it was the hardest thing I ever did. And I was the worst salesperson at doing it because I was so shy <laughs> and traumatized. Right. You know. But, you know, so my question, my internal narrative was when I was walking home from the sales office was, why am I such a loser? Why am I so bad at things? Why cannot I be success? Why can't, why can't I make money? And I was four months behind with rent. I had no food in the cupboard. It was bad, right? Yeah. And then one day, one day my boss said, so listen, Marco, if you don't sell anything soon, like in the next couple of days, you're going to get fired. Now that became a trigger for me because I didn't want to go back to the kind of scarcity that I had before in my hometown. Okay. 
I'd rather just sleep outside and, and then go back to that kind of scarcity. Right. So when he said that, there was a trigger that changed my internal question to how can I be successful? Because I had nothing to lose anymore. Mm. And I kept asking that question for two days, walking to and from work. And then the one day, came. the answer came in quite a few uh, unbelievable ways because when I got to the office the day after, mm-hmm. the top salesperson approached me that had never spoken to me before. I said, listen, Marco, I know what you're going through. I think you can make it and I want to help you. I used to be like you. No, I didn't believe that. I said, mm-hmm. you were like me? I said, no way. Because he was the top salesperson making loads of money. Very successful. I said, no, really? I, I was really bad. I had no money. I was homeless, etc." He told me a story. I said, listen, I want to help you because someone helped me and I want to help you. I want to pay it forward. I'm going to give you a book. I want you to read it. I want you to go home, read it, and read it until you get the message. And that was the first book I ever read from cover to cover. Yes, yes. And I, I know, I know, and, and I know... I know which book you're talking about, and I want to keep the listeners intrigued yeah. till the end because it's part of my blitz questions, the book that changed your mindset. And it's truly fascinating how much that book impacted you and how you took it in and what message. And it's very unexpected book because it's not yeah. the one that's often, or I'd say no one mentioned it before. So this is very much your thing, I've ordered that book. It's coming. Um, and and I'm, it's and quite I'm expensive, ex- right? It's not in print anymore. No, Amazon Prime, I believe it was about £13. Pounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so at some point delivered um, today. So I'd be excited to discuss and see. Oh, it's a great book. It's mm. a great book. Yeah. But it's equally, you know, the questions I think that everyone reads or hears different things depending on the questions they have in their head or they put out there into the universe and it's very very possible that i would read the same book but take away completely different things take away a completely different message for you correct because that was the right book for me at the right time that's right that's right you could have have pretty much given me any success book Mm. um but it was just perf- the perfect message because when I received the message internally, I basically figured out why I'd been such a dick or such a loser because I'd been around. Well, but you were yeah. not a dick. Well, I felt I was a dick because when you're a loser, you feel that you, you, your, your self-worth is nowhere. That it's not, you're not confident about yourself. You feel you, don't, you feel you belong anywhere. You feel beneath other people. So that's, right. what I, that's what I meant by that word. Okay. Um, so when I read that book and got the message, literally I lit up and I, I felt electricity running through my, all my body. And I ran to the office. It was five miles. And by the time I got to the office, I was so hot and sweaty. My clothes were wet through with sweat. They sent me home <laughs> to get changed, right? <laughs> so I talk oh, about funny. a kick in the balls again. Yeah. But anyway, they gave me a lift this time because they said, listen, we'll give you a lift. We'll help you out because you're making the effort today. Okay. So I got back to the office and my first client, my first client, sorry, were both blind. He was blind. She was blind and they had a guide dog. And I'm thinking to myself, they can't see the timeshare I'm selling and they can't even see me. 
How the hell am I going to do this? <laughs> ultimate testing of your literally, skin skills. If God could test me, that was the test. <laughs> and they sat down and I'm figuring out what to say to them. I thought, fuck it. I stood up, literally said, listen, you're going to sit there for four hours. You're going to love it. You're going to spend £10,000 in your credit card. You're going to give me that when, you, when we finished. And you're going to love it so much. You're going to give me a big hug and tell me it's the best thing you've ever done. Mm. And they sat there like that. They said, no, we're not. We're, we're going to leave now. And they went, they went to get and leave. I had to bring them back to the table so many times. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I just kept going because I had nothing to lose. I just basically no fear, no doubt. I just went for it. And six hours later, he sat there, looked at his wife, well, figuratively, because he, he couldn't see. Yeah. He got his credit card out and he, gave, he said, put £10,000 on that. We absolutely love it. This is the best thing we've ever seen. They both got up and gave me a big hug. And I was like, stunned. Bravo. I was stunned. Right? Mm -hmm. So we basically manifested the end of that outcome by telling them what was going to happen and telling myself what was going to happen. And, you know, the power Mentalist. of words. Yeah, the power of words and belief is incredible that people just don't value these days. So, mm. and I said to them, so listen, why did you buy from me? That was my first reaction because that was the first ever success I ever had. Right. And they said, this is your first sale? I said, yes, this is my first sale. They said, really? Like you, they were like, you wouldn't let us leave. <laughs> we need to get out. They, they said, listen, we were sold a couple of hours after we met you, you just kept talking for another four hours, we would have bought, you know, but the reason we bought from you is because you transferred your belief to us. And that was a very pivotal moment in my life, that, which, which completely changed the trajectory of my next moves. Mm. And you, things just went the opposite to what they were before. So I, instead of being a mega failure, I became a mega success. Yeah. Because I took the, the lessons from that psychology into every move that I made. It's interesting that you were in a position when you had nothing to lose and later in your life, you've been in that position quite a few times. Yes. And you've been acting from the same mindset quite a few times and I'll, we'll get to it. But I wanted to go back slightly in, I'm curious to know, what's your relationship like with your dad and your grandmother? Because those two people that to an extent betrayed you yeah. and your mom and so my grandma is dead she died about five years ago have you no, I didn't, ever managed to have relationship with her or your dad it was, it was it was an okay relationship but i'd never i didn't know the truth before she died right and i didn't know the truth about my well her stepdad who died 20 years before so i'm right. glad he's dead because i would have that would have been a, a problem right right uh, my dad i don't speak to my dad he calls me every 10 years. And then the second time he calls me, asks for money to gamble. Right. So, and he never met, he actually only met my, he never spent any time with my children, his grandchildren. And one day he called me and said, I regret that. I said, well, that's your, that's your choice. But we don't want to see you because you never made the effort. So he's my biological father, but he's not my father. Right. So there's, there's no forgiveness yet for your dad do you still deal with no he, he didn't he's not he, he said he, he didn't really apologize i mean he's very apathetic so 
I try to forgive. It's very hard to forgive. It's easy to forget. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in, I have to be, I, I forgive in terms of gratitude for what I have. That's the way I forgive. Yeah. Because I can't change that person. Yeah. I've tried. And right. I just can't. So I have to not waste my energy doing that anymore because he's not a part of my life. Right. So therefore, because he's not a part of my life or my family, he is, is no, is nobody to me. Right, right. So I mentioned it before, and it's absolutely fascinating listening to those ground-shaking experiences and completely destroying to some, but you managed to come out of those things on the brighter side. You managed to not let those things define you. You came yeah. out stronger. You, um, how did you get over those traumas? I understand that there was a there was a success and potentially that was a bit of a redemption to all the failures in in your life circumstances before but how did it how did you help yourself like are there any routines or mindset trainings that you had to go through or maybe someone else helped you Now when I figured out from that book that I needed help I needed to develop my own psychology and knowledge in terms of psychology and the psychology of success, I became addicted to success. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. So that addiction led me to become the salesperson of the year for that company, the youngest sales manager in the company. And by the time I was 27, I was being headhunted by companies all over the world for me to run their company. So in 1997, I went to Malaysia to run a public company. Mm, yeah. um, that had 25 hotels, massive in property. And I took my family, my daughter was six months old then, and my, I was married. And I decided to go there. And my family said, and a lot of friends said, don't go there, it's a third world country. People okay. live in trees. You know, <laughs> people's ignorance is, is still acute. But I went there and I was there for a few months and they were doing about 10 million in this new this new um, public company and they were losing money. And then the Asian economic crisis came. You're probably too young to remember that, but that was in nine, that was in 97 and George Soros devalued the currencies of Asia. I do and remember. They, so they, and they couldn't pay me. Mm. They're literally their sales stopped. So they couldn't pay me. And I just, they, I, then I had a decision to make, do I stay and, make, and try and make this work out of basically it was pretty much mission impossible or do I go back to where I was before? Mm -hmm. And my gut was, my gut feeling was to stay. And what I did is I completely overhauled that company. I innovated the product to not a timeshare for seven days, but a timeshare time based on a points model where people could holiday for one or two days. Mm -hmm. So the membership became a lot cheaper and more affordable. And I, ch I turned that company into a billion dollar company within three years. This is phenomenal. Yeah. How did it feel? It felt amazing. And I still, when I look back at those times, you know, I actually sometimes forget what I did to do that. I mean, literally mm -hmm. I moved heaven and earth. To, I mean, I'd, I'd literally started with one staff. I had 5,000 staff eventually. Can Crazy. you imagine? Crazy. Mm. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes I forget what I did there. Not, not from a narcissistical point of view, but 
sometimes when people try and question my experience, I remember what I did and who I am. And sometimes right. people, you know, Natalie, especially when you're on Clubhouse and social media, there's a lot of jealousy there. Right. And there's a lot of bullying and there's a lot of fakes. That's right. I'm sure you've experienced that because I have. Mm-hmm. And um, they try and decredit you or try and say they're better than you and all this kind of bullshit. But, you know, I look at what they've done and it's just, it's just not in the same league. Right. So because running a public company and doing that is an incredible undertaking. Um, now, so much so, I was so addicted to success that when I got to 31, I was in the office giving a motivational speech and I collapsed with a heart attack. 31. Right. What was the call for? Self-care? Yeah, because as I said, it was the addicted to success problem because I was working 18, 19 hours a day. Anything to get another sale to break the record, that's what my psyche was. But other things suffered because of that. You know, my family life suffered a bit. Wasn't paying maybe enough attention to my marriage or my other relationships. Um, But I was still... You know, my, my other philosophy was, well, hang on a minute, darling. I'm making all this money right now so we can have a happy life. We don't have to worry about money because I'd, be, I'd come from scarcity. I didn't want to go back there. So you defined happiness as wealth, didn't you? Yeah. Mm. I defined happiness as money. Right. Right. Um, so has I it went changed into- now? I'm curious. Yes, it has changed. Um, what is happiness for you now? Don't get me wrong, I still love having lots of money. I mean, who doesn't, you know, because it gives yeah. you freedom. It gives yeah. you freedom. But the, 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 the thing now is, is I don't have to be everybody or don't have to be the best in the world at everything. I'd rather just be happy at doing what I'm doing. Let them do what they want to do. That, so that's changed. Right. So when I, when I came out of hospital, uh, for after about a month, they said, you've got to slow down, slow down, change my diet, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I found out my wife was having an affair with my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that was more painful than the heart attack. I can imagine that. Because the two people in my life I trusted for 10 years, both of them, completely betrayed me. Yeah. So I didn't know how to put my heart back together again. It was a mil- like a million pieces. And if that's never, if that's not happened to, say a lot of people, that's not happened to them. Um, so they won't understand the pain mm. that, it, that it really brings on. It, it brings on a massive amount of pain because you question yourself. So what have I, because you look in the mirror and go, what have I, what have I done wrong? Yeah. I deserve yeah, absolutely. this. Absolutely. You know? And we yeah. had two kids at the time, very young. I mean, my daughter was like three, four. My son was only one. You know, so I left that household. I couldn't stay there because I couldn't trust that person. I stayed away for about six months and she begged me to come back. But mm. I didn't go back for her. I went back for the kids because I didn't want them not to have a dad. Yeah. <clears throat> but actually on reflection, that was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I went back into that relationship, it changed. I couldn't trust that person emotionally. Mm. And I, I tortured myself for six years in that relationship and stayed. And I wish I hadn't. Did you still have feelings? No. For your wife? No. no. Right. 
And then I divorced her in 2008. So it's, you know, a long time ago now. Yeah. I have yeah. no feelings at all for her. Right. And I know that when you, when you divorced, you were broke again. Or Yeah. Well, I was actually broke um, when I went back to my wife because I lost most of my money on the stock market. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. That was, right. Another, that was another lesson for me to learn. If you're going to do, if you're going to invest in something, make sure you learn about it before you invest. That was another lesson. So I became mm -hmm. a default entrepreneur. I, I hustled. I, I did consultancy work. I did okay. And then in, I got to 2008, super unhappy, working three consultancy jobs, no time, not enough money to pay the bills, in an awful marriage. And um, I decided that I needed to make some changes, big changes. And I decided that I, I wanted to definitely leave my wife, but I wanted to make it, I wanted to do it in a proper way. Mm -hmm. So she was okay with money and stuff like that for the kids. So the first thing I did is I wrote, I said, right, I need to write a book. So I wrote my first book. And I okay. sat down at four, four o'clock in the morning for three hours a day and wrote this book for six months. And it became a number one bestseller. Mm. It's a close the deal and suddenly grow rich. Is that the first book? That's the book, yeah. And it became a bestseller. It became a number one bestseller. Yeah. That's fascinating. You just um, go through extremes, shall I say. Yes. It's either really good things happen to you or really, really shit things. Yeah. <laughs> There's no in between. Yeah, so I, I found my happy place now. So they're not extremes because I've got multiple income streams, so I don't have to have those problems anymore. Right. Um, but yes, it was an extreme situation I was in and I had to have an extreme strategy. So writing a book was part of my strategy, but it wasn't, it, I knew it wasn't going to bring a lot of money in, but I, I just needed to do it because I knew it would bring money in in different ways. And, you know, my question then was, how can I make a million dollars this year and get out of this marriage? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the answer came to me and um, I started contacting hotels. So listen, because it, it was just after the subprime crisis so everyone was desperate. So I started telephone hotel. So listen, you've got any free rooms I can use to put some guests in. If they just eat at your hotel, would you give the room for free? Some of them said no, but a lot of them said yes. So I got these rooms. I packaged them into a voucher. I called it a vacation incentive. And I sold that voucher for $50 to companies who wanted to incentivize their clients to buy their product. So buy a phone, get a free holiday, buy a car, get a free holiday, buy a, a set of drawers, get it, buy a computer, get it, buy a TV, get a free holiday. Uh, Genius. But, the, the, but the condition was they had to buy a minimum of 100 vouchers. So I went for the volume and I, I, my first sale I got was on Christmas Day 2008 for $500,000. Not bad, hey? Not bad, eh? 10,000 vouchers to a, an electrical retail outlet store that had 100 outlets that wanted to do promotion to sell the TVs. So that was the first seller. And, and following that, I, that company did 12 million in the first year. And then I left my wife. And then Which was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, worked out for you. Hey? <laughs> right. So 
And your, so your relationship, you obviously had quite turbulent yeah. relationship. Um, what is it now like? What is your, um, you know, what, what, is, what is your home like now? Um, what is your statement or understanding? I know you mentioned that you are now in your happy place and you mentioned quite a few times that divorcing your wife was your um, good decision, the best decision you've made. Um, are you now in your bachelor living your life kind of state of mind or? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm now single. I, mean, I, I actually was in a relationship until about a month ago. So I, I was with someone recently. Right. Um, that didn't work out. Or it was about a year or something like that. Um, so now I'm recovering from that because it's quite new. Yeah. So now I have all this space. I have all this time to do other things that I want to do. The thing, because there are benefits of being in a relationship and there are benefits of being single. It's not, there's mm -hmm. no right or wrong yeah. in terms of relationship status. That's what I've also figured out, by the way. Yeah. You know, so I've had children, I've had marriage, I've had a family. I've been there for 15 years in a marriage. I really don't want to do that right now. Really? Um, you know, but I'm still open to meet someone that is on my wavelength, mm -hmm. which is not many people, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to be with someone that is, is, it ends up being a team that I'm not doing all the work, that she's not doing all the work. We have common goals of commonality and we work for each other and respect each other. That's what I'm after. And if right. I met that person, I'm quite happy to be in a relationship, even get married again. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping things open. No, I completely get it. Um, and speaking of your home and the space that you mentioned now, um, you, you were approached by at some point, by primetime TV channel four in yeah. the UK to give a house away to a homeless family and pay the mortgage off. So yeah. the show was called Get a House for Free and it went to 67 countries throughout the world. And it's obviously ironic because you were homeless in the beginning of your life when you were little yeah. and now you're, you're a millionaire. So what kind of home do you have now and what does it mean to you um as it's a beehive household podcast we'll talk a little bit about your space the space that you create what what does it mean to you you know there's no well, right the space, or wrong the space for me to create has to be like a sanctuary it has to, the first thing it has to be is it has to be a place i can rest mm -hmm. that home has to be a rest place where no matter how I'm feeling, I feel good in that place. That's a safe place. What is rest for you? Is it chill out by TV? Is it meditating? Is it maybe martial arts? Maybe it's just reading a book or... Um... Well, rest is, rest is not like lying down in the bed, on the bed. It's, you know, rest is different modalities. So, you know, rest for me is going, is going for a run. Okay. It doesn't sound like a rest, but for me, that's a rest from work. No, absolutely. I get it. Yeah. And to be in touch with nature for me is the most important thing. That really invigorates me, recharges me, gives me perspective in life of what I need to do, where I'm going, et cetera. Um, I'm also a big believer in naps. Okay. How many naps do you take during the day? Only, only one. Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't take them every day. So yeah. 
but sometimes I'm just feeling too tired and I'm a bit fuzzy. I'll just uh, go. I'll just go to bed, and I won't. Yeah. I won't feel guilty about that. You know. Yeah. 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 And, and then, of course, the next part of your home is because it's a place that you need to be able to work. Because I work from home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, as a know, lot of us are these days. Yeah. And, and that is difficult for many people because they can't separate that, dis- that self discipline from home. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I have to go to a co working office to get more focus sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't do all the work at home, if you, if you know what I mean. Sometimes I have to go to an Airbnb in Scotland and do it. <laughs> exactly. Change yeah. of environment. I think we all needed it in the last yeah. year and a half. Yeah. So, so the Channel 4 TV show was a huge deal. And like you said, the irony was that I didn't have a home when I was a kid, but I was able to give one to a woman that was 23 with a two-year-old daughter. Our life is so ironically interesting, isn't it? It goes around, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm, how did it make you feel at the time? Well, at the, when I was first doing it, it was strange. The filming was interesting. And it didn't really hit, hit me until the last day of filming. When really? I was giving, no, it didn't really hit me until then because on the last day of filming, I was supposed to give the, the big reveal, you know, to give the house away. All the cameras were there, but I wasn't feeling so good. In fact, my eyes were running, my nose was running. I couldn't really speak very well. I thought I had flu. And I saw this strange woman I'd not seen before walking around in the garden. And I said to production, who's that? And they said to me, oh, that's the psychologist. And I said, what's the psychologist doing here? And they said, well, the psychologist is here to counsel the person you're giving the house to because they're not going to be able to cope with it emotionally. And I said, no shit. They said, yes, shit. And this psychologist walked up to me and said, Marco, you don't have flu. You're having an emotional reaction to an unresolved childhood issue. And I was like, stood, couldn't say anything. Yeah. And then the flu dried up, disappeared, went and gave the house away and cried every day for a month. Wow. So powerful, isn't it? It's almost taking you back in time and giving yourself and your mum a home. It was, it was forgiving ourselves because I'd not cried for 40 years. Right. I had that block because I felt if I cried, I'd lose control. I wouldn't be able to protect my mum. Are you a crier now? Yes. You... Oh. I've completely turned around now. Right. Is it easier? To process emotions. It's like easy, it. and that's why I got into acting because I wanted to do that more often. <laughs> oh, love it. Um, gosh, if every story of yours, honestly, is just you—you you wouldn't make it up the way it happens. It's the truth. It's not not making it up. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the fascinating part about it—that it's a. Uh, is just is just absolutely crazy, and um, so going back to your house, do you have any specific interior decor style that you like your house to be? I mean, you well, right now you can see that this is very uh, this is a loft apartment. Yeah, right in Manchester in a Victor- an old Victorian building, the factory, which is very contemporary. Right, so 
do you do you own it or you no I'm, I'm renting this place I'm renting this place right because I wasn't sure where I was going to end up I actually want to have a place on the beach nice yeah mm. so right now I'm just planning to buy something that has a beach because I need that air I need that I need to be outside 50% of the time in so, the UK don't know yet right I haven't figured that out yet Right, right. I was expecting to see, as you've um, lived in Asia, in Malaysia, I was expecting to see, or maybe there still are, some Asian artifacts and some There are, because I, I have a place, I own a place in Bali. Right, is that where it's always? Yeah, so I've got a place in Bali. I've got two places in Malaysia, um, but I, don't, I just don't go there a lot because of the pandemic, obviously. Right. Um, but I don't get, I see, I've spent 22 years there. So for me, it's for go, to go back there for me is not really that more, not that interesting anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is it um, those kind of luxurious pads that particularly in the, in the, in the Bali, what's that place not like? It's not like a mega, it's like a two bedroom condo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not massively big, but it's very beautiful. It's got its own garden, pool and stuff like that. So yeah, it's nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So um, we, we mentioned Asia and Malaysia. You, you've been knighted by the Malaysian king. Yeah. Crazy, again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that was going to happen because I didn't do it. They didn't do that thing to get that award, if you know what I mean. You did the right thing. I just did the right thing. I found mm. out that there was 350,000 blind people in Malaysia that were not allowed access to public places with a guide dog. So they couldn't get a guide dog. Mm. Effectively made them a prisoner in their own home because they had to call a family member to take them out everywhere. How did you find out about that? A friend told me, um, a filmmaker told me, because I teamed up with a filmmaker that highlighted this problem to me and he said, right, why don't we make a film about it? Mm. And we call it, are you blind? Mm. And we film a blind man with a guide dog going into public places and being refused entry. And we bought a guide dog from China that cost 15,000 pounds to buy the guide dog. Because we had to import it into the country and it was, oh, it was a right nightmare. Wow. But, you know, we filmed this guy with a guide dog going into taxis, trains, buses, being refused, going into shopping malls, being refused. And for the people that don't understand guide dogs, they can actually hold their bladder for six hours. They're very, very intelligent animals, very intelligent. And a lot of Amazing. people, I didn't even know that. Actually, most people don't even know that, right? No, no. In Malaysia, they have, it's a Muslim religion that had a stigma towards dogs, mm -hmm. especially outside. So because they didn't understand, that's all the ignorance. So just ignorance. Mm -hmm. So made the film put it on Facebook, it got 15 million hits in a week. So the, the blind community went, were outraged by this. And there was so much public outrage. Yeah, they were outraged. And there was so much public outrage that they contacted me, the, the royal family and the government and said, listen, we had no idea this was a problem. I said, yeah, it's a big problem. And they said, you've embarrassed us. So we'd like to, we'd like to kind of change it. So we're going to change the laws and allow guide dogs in public places. Just like that? Yeah. 
instant impact. You seem to have this um, a good sense for what is going to work. So something that well, you really put your hands on, it really works out. Not all the time. <laughs> right. What were the uh, mis mistakes, shall I call them? Got, there's lots of mistakes. Um, but in terms of a project, if I believe in it and I see something there, there I just don't quit to go for it. And it's, it's the persistence that makes it happen. It's not the idea. Right. There are so many ideas. I, mean, I could act upon so many ideas and make them successful. I just wouldn't like to do it because I'm not interested in that. <laughs> you know, so the bottom line is I only do what I'm interested in that I love to do. Um, and that project was a very amazing project that I, I knew I could make a difference because I knew it would, it would completely piss everyone, every blind person off in the world. Right. It could have pissed off the royal family off as well. <laughs> well it did. I didn't because it, it did piss them off. It pissed the whole government off because they were completely exposed. And they That's tried right. to they tried to quiet it down quieten it down, but they couldn't. So Were you not no scared? Choice. I was scared. <laughs> and when they contacted me, I thought, oh God, something bad's gonna happen now. Um, and they said, listen, we're going to change the laws. We want to uh, reward you, but we don't want to put any press on it. We just want to give you this decoration. So you'll never find any press on this because they control the press over there. Yeah. Yeah. So what they did do that for me and they did change the law. So that was the deal. Fantastic. You got away there. <laughs> yes. And since then you've been Sir Marco Robinson. Yeah, so it's called, a, it's actually Datto Suri, which is the, a knighthood equivalent in the UK. Right. And rather than me, rather than me put Datto Suri, which no one understands, I just put that, and then it exactly. becomes a talking point, you know. I mean, there are some people that have got a problem with that because, oh, it's not by the Queen, you're not a sir, and all this kind of crap, right? Right, But then, right. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really care what those people think because if they're thinking that, mm. why are they thinking that? I think it's a, probably because they're jealous. I, I don't think it's about the title, isn't it? It's about the deed behind it. Exactly. So exactly. there's a, equally a lot of great deeds that's not been recognized by the title. Um, if there is a title, there's curiosity, there's um, affirmation, and there's a bit of um, inspiration behind it. Yeah, so, correct. So that's why I, I always put it there. I always do that because I want to highlight the deed mm. to inspire people that actually... Anybody can do what I did. Mm. If you, know? you had the if you had the balls, if you Marco had Robinson. the balls, yeah, I had the ball. I, think about me, I've got the balls. I absolutely, Dude. I don't, I just don't have the fear, you know. So I'll go and do it, even though it's crazy. dangerous. Yeah, this is crazy that you don't have a fear. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong, I, I, do, I am anxious sometimes. I do have a little bit of fear, mm. but at the end of the day, I've got the courage to go and do it. Exactly, exactly. So you also produced and starred in the blockbuster movie Legacy of Lies alongside the top martial arts action star Scott Atkins. Yes. And I know that the movie was initially meant for you to be the leading character. Yes, it was. So you've also been sharing your dramatic fitness improvement on the social media 
was it the role you were physically preparing yourself for? Is it this James Bond lookalike? Kind yeah, of- I mean, I trained to get into shape. And I was in shape anyway, pretty much, but I really trained for that role, mm-hmm. uh, which became a supporting actor role eventually. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm going to do something, I commit. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's a, that's a fantastic calling for it. If you made up to your mind, um, go for it, commit to it and do it. So what yeah. is in your daily routines that really helps you? Like what, what advice would you give as a millionaire, as a person who's been through the roller coaster of events? What actually your mindset is right now? What are your daily routines are? What helps you to be successful? I think the, the, most, the most important part of my day is exercise. Mm-hmm. It's a daily thing. Yeah. If I don't do that, I feel shit, right? And sometimes I don't do it for a few days and I feel really bad and my mind's not moving and I get worried and anxious. And so therefore, anything, that, anything that's good for me always comes after exercise. Right. So I the, my number one priority is to exercise. I don't care what is going... If I've got a court case... I'll go and exercise first, you know? <laughs> um, so it's the, it's the number one thing. And because physiology is scientifically proved that you stimulate your, you, your hormones, dopamine, endorphins, you know, um, you stimulate even, those. those even good cortisol, isn't it? Yeah, and those, those hormones stimulate happiness, energy, good feelings, creativity, and a lot of things. So there is actually scientific um, relation to it. And the people that don't, I don't really understand the people who don't exercise. I don't know how you can live like that personally. <laughs> Good calling. Good calling. Anything um, else? The second thing is that if you've got a project, I'll look at it in a different way. Because sometimes my projects are big. So I don't say, right, I'm going to do all the project today. I do one part of, one part of the deal. I'll learn and master one part of it and then I'll move on to the next part of it and I'll do it in the present moment and schedule it and write it down and journalize it to make sure that I do it. So I I do definitely do a priority list of what I need to do. And then I find people that do things that I, for example, I'm not a programmer, so I can't do landing pages, websites, but I'll find someone to do it. So I think the greatest strength I have is my resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. And the greatest strength that anybody's got is their resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. Is that if you really want to do something, you can find a way to do it. So, you know, those are my rituals. I like it to avoid overwhelm because a lot of particularly entrepreneurs approaching the task get easily overwhelmed by seeing potentially loads of stops and problems yeah. ahead of it. Yeah. And breaking it down into smaller chunks and dealing with those smaller chunks, mastering them. And you, you know, journaling is actually something really useful. I didn't think about that, but actually writing it down, writing the part of the journey, and that becomes a huge learning point retrospectively, isn't it? Yeah. And um, if you don't write it down, it's not important. That's what I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're not writing it down, it's not important. Therefore, you're not going to focus on it. You've got to focus and pay attention to something that you want to do. Because you have to focus your conscious mind to drive your subconscious mind to actually take the actions to do it. So you have to write things down with a pen and paper, not a, not a keyboard. There's something about a pen and paper that's more permanent, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
amazing. In terms of your mindset, um, what helps you to stay? I mean, obviously the physical um, exercises and the routines that you have. In in any any kind of shortcomings, any downtimes that you may be coming across, what helps you um, get over it? Do you have a close group of friends? Do you have close family that becomes your sounding board? Or is it all in you? Is it all down to you to kind of overcome this and um, help It's all yourself? down to me. It's all down to me that. Right. Uh, and if I've got a problem, the first thing I do is I connect with nature. Mm-hmm. I'll go for a walk in the forest. And I'll, be, I'll have that gratitude for where I am actually experiencing that walk, that nature, that, that magnificent creation that we live in. Yeah. And that really stimulates me to get over any problem that I've got. Mm-hmm. I, I do have friends, but very few. Very, very few. I mean, I've got one best friend mm-hmm. and I've got two close friends. And I've got my mum, I've got my kids, that's it. You know, I divorced about 90% of my family because... As soon as I started making money, they, they wanted to take it from me and they thought they deserved it, basically. So I had to divorce most of, my, most of my family. And you know what? It's the best thing I ever did because I don't have any drama anymore. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's, it's something that's um, quite important. And actually on the clubhouse, that discussion's been going on often in terms of, you know, if friends you can... If there are, they are becoming wrong type of friends, if they are becoming um, energy draining relationships, yes. you can easily move on from those when those relationships. Yeah, I think Clubhouse is a really good application for discovering what kind of people you want to connect to in real life because on Clubhouse, you can just leave them there because there's a shitload of people <laughs> at Clubhouse that drain your energy, Natalia. Yeah. And just like I everywhere else, to be quite honest. It is. It's the same. It's the same everywhere else. And, you know, I, I go on Clubhouse to serve people and to talk and give value. And it helps my business, helps my brand. Um, and, you know, for anyone that's going through that's in business, you've just got to keep going for that and keep believing what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to try and take it away from you. A lot of people are going to try and discredit you. A lot of jealous people are going to come across and try and, you know, sabotage you. And you've got to go and, and just go and believe in yourself. And the biggest mistakes I've made is trusting the wrong people. Mm. That those are the biggest mistakes. Well, the, the, you know, this is unfortunately one of those things. You either trustful or you're not. You either question everyone, then it becomes quite difficult. No, to- yeah, I don't mean what you have is like a radar. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When you've had experience in life, you can see certain behaviors that people demonstrate yeah, I don't want to be around that person. Yeah. You know, so, so with my experience, I can tell pretty quickly who I want to spend time with or not. Now I've met quite a few people in Clubhouse, a very few of them stay in touch with me in terms of communication on a regular basis. So, you know, well, that's, that's good. I mean, you know, that's how it should be, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm a huge believer in a close tribe and, you know, the connections with people that you have that are truly close to you. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's definitely, it doesn't serve the purpose for me personally with um, the way I am when it's a huge amount of people and yeah. 100 friends that you have to meet up. It's definitely about the tribe. 
So I can yeah. completely resonate for that. And it's totally fine. To be honest, it's the, um, I prefer that way. Um, I think it, it serves better the quality over quantity. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. Um, what, is, what is there for you next? What are you working on now? Is there um, anything that you want listeners to um, yeah, well, I pay just, attention to? Of course, I'm working on my films. I've just got some film funding in place to make some more films. So that's good. That's what I'm working on as my first love. And I have a, an online business to help people start an online business. Mm-hmm. So I started my online business in January. It's called the Online Success Formula. Yes. And I help anybody, anybody from any background, get online within a, a couple of weeks, start making money. I've, I've seen that. I've seen this this morning. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> you need to get on the webinar tomorrow and see how I do it. Tomorrow night. I will yeah. be there. I'm curious. I'm curious to find out all the secrets of Marco Robinson, Sir Marco yeah. Robinson. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. So, where do, can the listeners connect with you as well? Where can they find you? Are you mainly on Instagram, LinkedIn? They, they, the best place is Instagram. Right. Yeah. And so, and it's Marco Robinson now, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why now? <laughs> there was another Marco Robinson. So that's about Marco Robinson now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think because if you want to do something, don't wait, do it now, you know? Good one. Good yeah. one. So I've got, as I said in the beginning, I've got the blitz questions sure. to wrap up interview. And the one that I've been um, warming up to the end. So your top book recommendation that changed your mindset. And this is what changed your life ultimately, not just mindset. What made that? pivotal made you turn the corner that was that pivotal moment in your life what was that book well we both know that book and that book's called bring out the magic in your mind by al Quran. and it was written in 1957 by a magician that was mm-hmm. based in the uk he was the best magician in england mm. and he used to like guess what's in the envelope guess what's in the box he'd do this incredible tricks but he also had, wrote this amazing book about psychology and how he became successful doing what he did. No one believed he could do it, but he did it. Uh, and that's, that's the, that was the book that turned my life around, for sure. I'm looking forward to reading it. As I said, it's coming. And I've spent, um, two days ago, I've spent quite a good amount of time on YouTube watching his gold medallion trick and trying to find how does he do it? How yeah. does he do it? Couldn't yeah. find it. That's beautiful. Household tasks you'd like to outsource? Um, you know what? This is a love and hate relationship with cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I can clean the house and because it's just, exercise. Just like your relationships work. as well, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> right. Sometimes you need to clear things out. Go on. Yeah. So I can go and clean the house and feel really good about it. But yeah. then I just want to go, well, you know what? Can someone else come in and do it for me? <laughs> <laughs> do you cook for yourself? Yes, I do. Right. Are you but a I'm good cook? Because you, you, also, you also have your restaurant, which I forgot to mention. Well, I don't have my restaurant anymore because I closed it because of COVID. Ah. But I did have a restaurant for seven years called Naked Restaurant in Malaysia that right. won Tatler's Best Restaurant. Uh, well, so what was the concept? Is, is it what I think it is? 
No, it wasn't eating naked. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> yeah. In a Muslim country, don't think so. <laughs> I was wondering where it's good because it was called naked restaurant. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one what of the reasons. Naked? Sorry? About, what was naked about it? Well, see, that restaurant was out of a broken relationship. What happened was we both wanted a restaurant, so we got this plot, like 4,000 square feet, and then we split up, and then I was paying the rent of like £4,000 a month for this fucking restaurant. I, I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I said, right, what, right, I need to do something with this restaurant. What am I going to call it? So I thought, fuck it, I'll call it Naked. We're in Malaysia. It's a Muslim country. People are going to go nuts. It's forbidden. It's taboo, right? Called it Naked, opened it. A thousand people showed up on the first day. <laughs> so this is about how to brand successfully, right? And the, mm. the, the reason it's called Naked is because the food is very is fresh, Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, it's no kind of bad flavor, bad artificial stuff in it. It's made fresh and there's a great vibe. You know, we had music there, live music. So everything was naked and organic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Are you planning to open something like this in the UK? I don't know if I want to do that anymore because you know what? Restaurants don't make a lot of money, Talia. Mm. And catering yeah. business is quite tough, isn't it? You'd have to have, you'd have, you'd have to, yeah, you have to have a lot of restaurants to make, a mon- to make money on it. And I, we really only made money on the booze because the more booze we made, the cheaper we got it, the more profit we could make. And the food, we made some money. Um, but your profit margin is like most you'd make is 15% on a good month. Normally, it's between it's less than 10% net profit. Mm. But all the work involved, yes. it was great. I, I did it because I wanted to do it. It was fun. I did mm-hmm. it, didn't do it to make money. Right. You always have fun. And then you end yeah. up making money. Or losing it. <laughs> yeah, but at least I've had fun. At least you've had fun. That all counts. It's part of your experience. Yeah. Um, okay, got it. What's your favorite meal of the day and why? Um, that's a difficult one. I would say it depends who I'm with and it depends what mood I'm in. Okay, talk me through this. Who, who and which mood suits for so which if I'm with someone, if I'm, if I'm with someone of the opposite sex, put it that way, mm-hmm. um, then I'd love to, then I love to go to dinner and have a fantastic meal and experience a great restaurant. You know, I love to do that. Yeah. And in terms of food, I have to say Italian is amazing. You're going uh, to, yeah. Yeah, that's probably my favorite out of the lot. But, you know, I, I enjoy all food. I love all kinds of food. Um, if I'm cooking for myself, my favorite meal is spaghetti bolognese. Brilliant. So is my kids. <laughs> <laughs> nice <Yes>. and easy. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Um, top choice for a famous house guest that can be current or historic figure. Yeah, that's really not so easy. I've been thinking about this. Mm. I probably have to say Abraham Lincoln. Okay, why? There's many well, reasons why I can think of, but why is it for you? Yeah, well, because of his his humility, his intelligence, his his belief that good could prevail despite overwhelming odds. I think that mm. you know that person is what they, he did was incredible. Um. Mm. I think also John F. Kennedy would be a great guest. 
Uh, Marilyn Monroe would be a great guest. Mm. They, they, um, they certainly made a standpoint. What, what, I mean, I suspect that Marilyn Monroe will come for dinner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but you know, she had. Oh, you know, she, she was troubled. She had a lot of problems, but she was. She lived brightly. I mean, you can't deny that she lived the life that she wanted to live, and she was in the limelight, and she shone. You know. She was very tragic inside. She, she, she wasn't happy, but I think nothing could make her happy. So she just went for it and just went for it without fear. That's what I loved about her. Does it resonate with you? Yeah, it does. I mean, any guest that I would have for dinner, I live vicariously through them. So I see traits in those people that, that I have myself. And I, all my curiosity is, well, how do they live with my traits? What do they do with them? You know, mm. are you happy inside? Yeah. Can you tell? <laughs> it's hard to read through the, <laughs> you know, face to face. I may have been able to. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm very happy because you know what? I'm 53 this month. I'm faction 53 next week. Oh. So, so for me, because well, of this, I have this episode will come out after your birthday. When is your birthday? Which date? 16th, 16th of May. 16th of May, okay. So for me, you know, mortality is more of an issue than it is for you. So when I think about my life, it's going, well, I haven't got, I haven't got that much time left. So when I think about my life, I live a lot of, well, most of it, in, I'm not perfect in Sally by any means. So I do drift None and of I, us are. Yeah, I just get worried and stuff like that. But I bring myself to the present and get into gratitude more strategically because I know that's where I need to be and, and just enjoy what I've got right now. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what you get when you, when you get older. See, I think, I, th I think, I, I think about that a lot. I. Are you a bloody what? 28, 32? What? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be 37 on the 8th of June. Wow. Well, you look amazing for 37. Oh, thank you. This is you should be this world. Oh, Thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> take that. Thank you. You, you made it. my day. Um, but no, certainly there's a, um, yeah, I, li I like those conversations. I like the concept of gratitude and living in the present. And it's, it's, it's not so much of a concept of the age, <sighs> I guess, the depth of the thinking process, you know what I mean? So it's, it's very much in my nature to be philosophical about it. Yeah. So it very yeah. much resonates for sure. Mm. And we briefly talked about it, but the last question I have, your dream house and location. I'll put you on the spot because you didn't have the actual, you, you've not thought about it yet. So maybe we can do it together. <laughs> well, for me, the, the dream house has to be either one of two things, in the country or right. on the beach. Mm -hmm. And it's a very close call. Okay, right. But I have to say the beach and the, the, the sound of the ocean for me is what would tip it over the fence. But there was also a countryside nearby. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the ideal location because I need to be in nature most of the time. Mm -hmm. So when I, I, I love, I, basically I love bad weather and I love good weather. I love mm -hmm. the rain in my face on the beach. Mm. And the harder the better. 
because it makes it makes me feel more alive. Love it. But I also love the serenity of the ocean when it calms down, mm. and it reminds me that life can turn so quickly, just like yours did. Yeah. Beautiful, and the um, you you didn't well you still to make up your mind where exactly it would be. Yeah, I'm still to make my mind up about that. Maybe Dorset in England. Yeah. Or California. It's a close call. I see. I yeah. see. I see. Um, anytime soon. I would say within the next two years. Right. So we'll be watching the space. Marco, it's been. Such a pleasure talking to you, hearing your stories. You are a phenomenal storyteller. And thanks God, because your story needs to be told and told well. And I do see um, a movie at some point um, with you, but maybe not you, maybe someone else. But it's certainly about your story, about your life. And it's worth, definitely worth and fascinating um, to hear and to see, um, to an extent, it's, it's a, I want to say it's a shame that you had to go through so many things that were so traumatic, of course. Um, but it made you, as I said, you didn't let that define you. You didn't let that break you down. It keeps you going and makes you stronger. It made you that wealth of experience. And now you are in a position of sharing that experience with your whether it is through your online coaching, through your businesses, through your relationships and everything that you've got to give. So it's been my absolute pleasure getting to know you, albeit it's just through over Zoom. But um, I hope it's a new friendship connection that's been made. So thank you. Definitely, Natalia. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors as well as LinkedIn. Bye now till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.